Hello, and welcome back to the Pup Pup and Away podcast. My name is Stephanie. I am a certified dog trainer and owner of Pup Pup and Away in San Antonio, Texas. And today we're going to be talking about the four quadrants of learning theory. Um, this episode does get a little bit in the weeds, uh, but I like to empower my clients with knowledge. So then that way, if ever a training scenario pops up where I am not right by your side, you still have a really good idea of how to handle a situation um, to still get the best behavior from your dog. Um, For those of you who don't work with me, um, who also may still be looking for a dog trainer, it's really important that you understand what sorts of methods a dog trainer might be using when you are potentially going to be hiring them. Um, Because there are multiple um, methods and not all of them are good. So let's get to it. Um, so with, with the four quadrants, we have positive punishment, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, and negative reinforcement. So let's kind of break down those terms just a bit. Positive means I am adding something to a situation. Positive in this sense does not mean good or bad. So positive, negative does not mean good or bad. It just means I'm adding something. Negative means I am taking something away. All right. So when we talk about the term reinforcement, I am trying to increase the likelihood of a behavior. When I'm using the term punishment, I am trying to decrease the likelihood of a behavior. So um, let's give some a couple of examples. Positive reinforcement. That's what kind of trainer I am. I'm pr- I am primarily a positive reinforcement trainer. So I am trying to give things to my dog to increase the likelihood of a behavior. Uh, most likely, we use food and treats because most dogs love that and it's easy. Um, but other methods, praise and attention, or here's the ball. I'm going to toss it for you. Here's your favorite um, toy, whatever that might be. Positive punishment, once again, I'm adding something into the situation, punishment, to decrease the likelihood of the behavior. Um, This would be something like using an e-collar, something like ear pinching, um, something like hitting your dog. You are adding something to the scenario to decrease the likelihood of a behavior. So let's talk about the negatives. The negative punishment would be something like the removal of your attention. So your dog jumps up on you, you stop 100% right away, giving any sort of attention to decrease the likelihood of a behavior. So you're taking something away from your dog to decrease the likelihood of the behavior. Um, Or maybe something like when your dog bit you out of excitement, you took the ball away from them. That's a negative punishment. A negative reinforcement would be something like the e-collar stops giving that electrical stimulation when your dog finally does start inbounding towards you on a recall or finally does stop pulling on the leash. So if you can notice here, a lot, like one training situation usually has opposites of the quadrant going on. So let's talk about the positive reinforcement with your negative punishment situation. So Um, If my dog comes up to me and greets me and sits at my feet, I'm going to positively reinforce them by giving them praise, love, and attention, right? I want to add something to increase the likelihood of him coming up to me calmly and quietly and sitting at my feet. 
If my dog gets too excited and then they decide to jump up onto me, I am going to negatively punish that behavior by withdrawing 100% my attention um, without even saying, no, stop it off or anything like that. I'm going to remove, so that's the negative part, um, my attention in an attempt to decrease the likelihood of him jumping up on me. So that's the punishment part, okay? So a positive reinforcement is also sometimes a little bit of a negative punishment as well. When we're talking about positive punishments, like e-collars, for example, um, let's talk about in the example of a come. I call my dog to me, my dog decides not to come to me, so I start pushing uh, the stimulator on my uh, control to give my dog an electric shock. I am adding something to my dog's scenario to their situation to decrease the likelihood of them choosing to not come to me. As my dog starts to inbound towards me, I stop the stimulation on the collar. So I'm taking away that stimulation because now that my dog is coming to me, I want to reinforce that decision of them coming towards me. So your positive punishment also has a bit of a negative reinforcement aspect to it. So it's really interesting how, you know, when you're looking at the quadrants in one beha- in one training scenario, you do typically have opposites of the quadrant going on there. Let's start talking about some problems, some benefits of certain methods. Um, So first, of course, let's start with the problems with positive punishment. The first thing is your timing is super important. The timing of your punishment, the shock, the hit, the ear pinch, whatever method you're, you're, you're using has to be super instantaneous to the behavior that you're trying to punish. Now, timing is also really important for positive reinforcement. However, in this moment, you, if you accidentally are timing your, if you're, if you're timing your punishment the wrong way, you might be accidentally having some other damaging effects in your training scenario. Um, if you accidentally don't time anything super correctly in positive reinforcement, oops, you accidentally reinforce the wrong behavior. We just have to make sure that our other reps are a little bit cleaner. Um, so your timing is super important. So that's one of them. Um, the second thing, the level of the correction has to be spot on. Um, so let's talk about e-collars as an example, because that's probably one that you guys are most familiar with. Um, there's usually a lot of different settings and uh, power levels on an e-collar. Um, when you first put one on your dog, and the first stimulation that you give your dog, if it's way too high, your dog is most likely going to have some sort of damaging emotional effect there. They might get super scared. They might get hurt. Um, it's physically dangerous and it's emotionally dangerous. On the flip side, if you're like, oh, well, I'll start it really low and work my way up, that's a really good way for your dog to desensitize and habituate to your level of punishment, which means that you might have to go all the way up slowly and your dog still is like, eh, it's still kind of the same things. I got used to it as the level increased. So the the you kind of have to guess just right on, right on the money, whether or not your punishment is too strong or too weak. Now, whenever we're using e-collars too, some people will decide to put them on themselves and kind of test it that way. Our skin is way different than a dog's skin, okay? Our nerve endings are different. I don't have a fur, a fur coat on top of my skin. When people say like, oh, it's okay. My, my, it barely hurts my dog because it barely hurts me. That 
doesn't mean anything. That Your dog feels that sensation way differently than you. So let's just stop that right there. The next one is the generalization of the punishment to other similar uh, stimuli. That was kind of a, a mouthful. Similar, s- similar stimuli. Um, so, for example, I have attempted to use a ultrasonic, like, little beeper. So when you push the button, it makes a really high noise that most people cannot hear, but dogs can. Um, I used this on my little one, Rishi, a little while ago, and now she is even afraid of my air fryer because when the timer goes off, there's like a a high-pitched ding. So that's a really good way for your dog to accidentally start taking other things into consideration of that sounds really similar to whatever the punishment is or I notice when my dad goes into the closet, that's where the e-collar lives. I'm already, I'm already shutting down. I'm already having uh, fear, anxiousness, and nervousness. Um, and so it, it, your, your dogs just have a really good way of generalizing fear, which is really kind of interesting because they don't generalize basic manners very well, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit in another time. Um, so you, you risk your dog becoming nervous of other things that are similar to whatever the whatever the correction that you're delivering is. The other one, and probably this is my the biggest one that I tell everyone whenever they're considering things like you know positive punishment is you your dog may associate the correction with something other than the actual behavior itself, and this is super common. Um, I joke that dogs are kind of narcissistic and they think that nothing that they do is wrong. So whenever you're delivering, say for example, your dog is reactive on leash, meaning whenever your dog sees another dog or person on leash, they decide to bark um, or lunge or jump up or do any of those things. Um, When your dog is doing that, and even if your timing is delivered consistently and precise, you hit your button, that electric signal gets sent to your dog's neck, um, your dog may not associate that um, stimulation with their behavior, but they may start to actually associate that with other dogs. Because every time they see a dog, yeah, sure, they act that way, which is why you're delivering the punishment. But in their mind, every single time I see a dog, I, I feel this sensation that I really do not like. Now, I really, really dislike seeing other dogs even more. So now my reactivity is going to be even bigger because I don't want that dog to even come close to me because every time I see a dog, I feel pain. So that is a really common thing and, and, a, and a common problem with positive punishment is our dogs may not be associating the punishment with the behavior itself, but with some other context in their environment. So it's going to have a negative effect in their training scenario. Okay, so let's reverse it a bit. Now let's talk about the benefits of positive reinforcement. Um, one, it builds on a foundation of trust. Like if you or if you have a friend and your friend just constantly tells you negative things about you, you're most likely not going to be their friend for a very long time. But if you have a friend who helps you out, who's nice to you, you're probably going to keep that friend around for a little bit longer. So in this in, in this moment, it definitely helps you build and bond with your dog, build that trust and create a bond, which 
is fun. Um, the second thing is it's easy and it's fun. Um, anyone can be delivering cookies as much as you want. It's super easy. You may accidentally be reinforcing some other behaviors that you don't want, which is why you should be working with the trainer. Um, but it's fun. So it's hard for you to have a bad time dog training because you're constantly focusing on the positive things, the things that you like your dog to be doing. It also decreases the fear and anxiety. Um, it, it, it decreases those things from even happening, but it can also decrease those things if your dog's already feeling things like fear and anxiety. So let's go back to um, the example of the leash reactive dog, the dog who barks at other people or dogs when they're on leash. When we're using positive reinforcement, the first thing that I start off with my clients who have dogs that are um, leash reactive is when you see the dog, one, we're at a far enough distance to where your dog is not hitting threshold and they're not already going into reactivity. But when you're looking at that dog, we mark and we treat. We mark and we treat. So what we're doing in that moment is we're addressing the underlying conditioned emotional response, especially if your dog is fearful of dogs and the reason why they're reacting is because they were pretty much telling that dog, hey, you stop right there, don't come close to me. It's important for us to take a moment to teach our dogs, hey, that dog is not scary. That dog's not going to hurt you. There's, you know, having dogs around is good. So creating a positive association to that dog will then help decrease that level of anxiety, which will then decrease the manifestation of the reactivity. So positive reinforcement decreases fear and anxiety if it's already there, but it also helps to maintain a level where your dog is not feeling fear or anxiety if your dog isn't you know, fearful or anxious yet. Um, it also helps develop critical thinking from your dog. When your dog is realizing that me doing certain things like sitting, laying down, coming to my person all bring good things, your dog will then start to think, huh, what other things can I do to get other things from my person? So this is a little bit of a thing that we have to teach our dogs to how to critically think for themselves, but your dog will then start to figure out other behaviors that get your attention, which can have a bad thing as well because we always give our dogs some sort of attention when they're doing something naughty. For example, if your dog jumps up onto the kitchen counter and steals the kitchen towel, you are most likely will always give your dog some sort of attention by running around with them, trying to grab it, telling them no, this, that, and the other. But your dog is being smart and trying to figure out how else can I get their attention. So make sure that you're always positively reinforcing, even with just gentle praise, whenever you find your dog doing things on their own that you like. Um, so if your dog just happens to come by you, sit at your feet while you're watching your favorite show, you just very quietly just need to say, good boy, thank you so much. Validate your dog for making that decision to do that. And you'll find that your dog starts to make more choices like that on their own. And then the biggest reason why positive reinforcement is better is because there is less need to do retraining later. Um, positive punishment is still something that's very much widely used in like working dog situations, police dog stuff, this, that, that, and the other, um, because those are pretty much life and death situations. But um, a lot of studies are coming out and statistics are coming out saying that dogs who are trained with positive punishment yeah, sure, they learn, but they actually end up needing to go back for more training later because the behavior started to fall apart quicker. 
Whereas when dogs are trained to do the exact same thing, but using positive reinforcement methods, the behaviors stay intact way longer and there is less need for your dog to have to go back for retraining. So it's definitely a... um, a longer a longer term investment for what you're actually trying to get in in terms of your long your long term goals. Now let's talk about some of the things that I hear when people don't want to use positive reinforcement and what my responses usually are to that. Um, the first one is, but I want my dog to listen to me because he wants to. I'm sorry, but no matter what method you use, you will not be able to train your dog and what motivates them to want to train. So there's two big things here. Number one, positive reinforcement. Your dog might be working for treats more than the fascination of wanting to work for you. Okay, no biggie. The other one, the positive punishment is your dog is working because they're scared shitless. I think that your dog working for treats has a lesser of the two evils in these moments. So I'm going to go for positive punishment, excuse me, positive reinforcement. Um, The second one is my dog only does what I ask when I have fat, when I have food in my hand. Well, that's because we never trained your dog how to do those behaviors when there's not food in your hand. So in positive reinforcement, especially when we're using things like food, And when I'm teaching a behavior for the first few times, I am going to have a piece of food in my hand before my dog does the behavior in an effort to lure my dog to do the behavior that I want. Um, So for example, whenever we're doing a sit, I have a food piece in my hand. I put the treat right there in my dog's nose and I slowly take that treat up and over their head in an effort to, as my dog drives their head up, their booty drives down. Um, So when we're luring behaviors, yes, the food comes before the behavior itself. However, the very next thing that I do with my clients is tell my clients, start keeping your treats in your treat pouch and do not pull those treats out until your dog does the behavior, which means now the food piece and the reward, yes, is still in in the scenario, but now it's coming after your dog does the behavior, not before. And I really want you to evaluate what you guys do in your training scenario. Most of the time, my clients are always reaching into their treat pouch or reaching onto the counter. They show their dog the the piece of food. Then they ask their dog for whatever behavior it is. Well, our dogs are really experts, one, in our body language and two, in our routine. So when my dog constantly sees me reaching for the food piece, showing it to them and then asking for the behavior... That becomes part of the context of which they learn the actual behavior itself. So then all of a sudden, one day when you don't have those those treats lying around and you don't follow that same protocol, that same routine of reaching, showing, and then asking your dog, your dog gets really confused. So it's a constant reminder that I'm telling my clients, take your hands out of the treat pouch, ask your dog for the behavior. Once your dog does the behavior, mark with your marker word, which we haven't even really covered in this episode, and then reach into your treat pouch and deliver that cookie. Don't let your hand being in your treat pouch be part of the way that you're asking your dog. And also don't let that sound of the treat bag be part of the cue that tells your dog what it is that you want them to do. So making sure that you're taking treats out of your hands as quickly as possible in in your training process. The other thing is, quote, I don't want my dog to get fat, end quote. 
Yes, this is a big concern. Absolutely. We don't want dogs to get fat. We don't want dogs to become overweight. We don't want dogs to get unhealthy, but there's lots of other things around it. Number one, try using your kibble as your actual dog treats. My dogs will work for kibble for anything. To do anything, I don't care what the distraction level is, they love food so much that kibble is still a high reinforcement, a highly motivating reinforcement for them. But however, some dogs aren't need a high uh, a high value treat depending on the scenario in which that they're working in. So try using your kibble um, as your training treats, but don't rely on that because it's most dogs, like I think my dogs are kind of weirdos for actually working for kibble in any situation. Most dogs won't. Um, you can try buying a different kind of kibble and using that as your training treats. Um, different proteins work really well. Um, or you can try zhuzhing up your regular kibble in some sort of way. Maybe you spray some chicken broth on it. Maybe you crumble some freeze-dried liver and it's just a little bit uh, of a different scent and a different um, a different taste slightly. The other thing is ration your pet's meals. Um, we feed our dogs way too much most of the time anyways. Cut down the portions of one or both or all three, however many times you're feeding um, your meals. Um, so that way you, you're not giving your dog too many extra calories. Um, and the other thing is cut up your treats. Even when my clients buy quote unquote training treats, I am still telling them to break those up into at least halves. So cut things up super tiny, whether you're using cheese or hot dogs. Um, even for my guys, when I'm working, having them work for kibble, I'm still trying to break one kibble into two different pieces. Um, so it's really more about the rate of the reinforcement and the value of the reinforcement, not necessarily how big the reinforcement is. So definitely keep those things in mind um, whenever you're thinking about um, reasons why you don't want to positively reinforce your dog. So obviously you know that I definitely lean towards the positive reinforcement side. However, there may be some opportunities where positive punishment is something that we actually need to consider. So there's about four different reasons why, okay, I absolutely have to consider positive punishment. And you have, to, like all four of these boxes have to be checked off. Um, so the first one, all other methods of training have been exhausted. You've tried not just one thing, um, a positive reinforcement, but you know, for, so for example, I teach many different behaviors to solve one problem because every dog's different. Um, let's talk about come, for example. Sully could be pet by Jesus and I still ask him to come and he'd be like, hold on Jesus, my mom's calling me and he would come right to me. So he's great at his come. Rishi, on the other hand, um, if there's a butterfly or you know a snail, if I ask her to come, her response would be, hold on mom, I'm busy. But for her, if I tell her touch and hold my hand out and she has a something to actually target with her nose, she'll come and touch my hand. So I teach different behaviors for one solution because your dog has their own strengths and weaknesses. So if you're doing something with your dog and um, they're not performing that really well, there might be other ways around it. So you're one, you have to exhaust all other training methods. Number two, it's a life and death situation or your dog is doing something really dangerous. Like, oh my gosh, my dog is a flight risk and they just bolt out the door every single time and I live right on the access road of a highway. 
okay, let's try some other things first. Did any of those things happen to progress the behavior, or progress the, the good behavior that we want? If not, okay, maybe let's actually consider some other things because I'd rather shock your dog with an e-collar than your dog get hit by a car. The other thing is management does not work. So crates, leashes, containment, um, medication, all of those are forms of management. You're trying to manage the behavior, bring it down to a more easier level to deal with. Um, and usually while we go through training, um, but sometimes once again, if training, the training, all the boxes of, you know, the other methods that we tried are not working, if management is not something you can do. So for example, for the dogs that run out the front door, a good management technique would be, Hey, I'm about to open the door to go get the mail. Let me put you in the crate. I'll go grab the mail. I'll come back, close the door, and now I'll let you out of the crate. That's a management technique. So when management cannot be something that we do, okay. Also, it's a life and death situation, okay. Also, all other methods of training have been exhausted. That's three out of the four boxes. Hmm, let's check to see what that fourth box is. The fourth box is when it's a behavior you really honestly cannot live with. This means that it's not just an annoying behavior. You know, oh my dog, oh my gosh, my dog barks. Like, that's annoying. You can live with that. Um, but maybe it's something like my dog chews up the couch and I have gone through five different couches or something like that. Whatever it is, you literally cannot live with the behavior that's actually manifesting. If you can check all four of those boxes off, okay, maybe positive punishment might be something that we need to consider. Another thing to consider too is if you're working with a trainer, that trainer might not be very good. I have been training dogs for over five years and that first box, all other methods of training have been exhausted and have, been, and have failed. I've never once had to check off that box because I'm really good at my job and I can get your dog to do things by positively reinforcing them for the things that I'd rather them be doing instead. So those are some examples of, sure, maybe positive punishment might be something that we have to consider, but all four of these boxes have to be checked off. One, all other methods have been tried. Two, it's a life and death situation or it's super dangerous. Three, management techniques are not an option. And four, it's a behavior that I literally cannot deal with. So if I have not sold you on positive reinforcement yet, I'm sorry that I have failed you. Um, however, if positive punishment is the route that you choose to go, please, please, please find a trainer that is very well versed in those techniques. They know all the loopholes. They know all the, the things that could go wrong. They've been doing it for a long time. They have a high rate of success. Please don't just go to PetSmart, buy yourself an e-collar or a choke chain or a prong collar and just start figuring it out. That is not the right way to do it. Um, thank God Petco is now taking those things off of their, uh, off of their shelves because it's really dangerous to put these tools into people's hands who don't know how to work the tools themselves. Bad training can have a lot of emotional and a lot of behavioral negative side effects if and when we don't use those things correctly. So please, if you're gonna, if you choose, if you still choose to go that route, please find yourself a trainer that is very well versed in how to use those things. 
All right, that's all for today. I hope you guys enjoyed the information that I gave you. Um, if so, please rate the podcast, whatever you're listening to. Please share it. Um, please subscribe. That helps us uh, work our way up in the algorithm. Um, and if you feel so inclined, please feel free to donate um, to our listener membership. Um, it's been a pleasure, and I will talk to you guys soon.